Welcome to the 3 and D podcast. My name is Sean Coleman, regular co-host Justin Lewis. Um, is um had it's summer, and with his job, it does get busy at times. So he will be joining us later this week for a free agency uh, preview as the Grizzlies head into free agency. But of course, hey, it's finally here. It's finally arrived, and we're here now with a place we haven't been in a while. We actually had a good draft, one of the best in the NBA. It's crazy to be in this position. So I'm glad to join y'all. Again, Sean Coleman. Y'all can follow me at StatsSAC on Twitter. But I am proud to um, welcome a couple of uh, fellow uh, Grizzly Bear Blues writers. Uh, Miss Lauren Harvey. How are you tonight, Miss Lauren? Doing great, Sean. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's my pleasure. I appreciate you coming on. And Colin Griffith. How are you tonight, sir? Doing great. Great night to talk about Grizzlies, Sean. Hey, hey, it's always a great night to talk about Grizzly, especially, especially with what we've seen going on. All right. So um, Colin and Lauren both have been kind enough to join me. What we're going to do first is just get to know them a little bit. This is the first time I've had the chance to talk with them. Certainly won't be the last. But we before we get into the draft, just want to get to know them a little bit. So, Lauren, um, obviously, me and you, uh, had the I had the pleasure of meeting you uh, at the draft yeah. over at the Bluff. A little bit about yourself. How did you get involved with writing about the Grizzlies? Well, you know, honestly, uh, I'm not a Memphis native. I'm from uh, the Chicagoland uh, area initially, but I moved down here uh, to Memphis uh, right after graduating college. Fell in love with the Grizzlies. Um, You know, just, I mean, I liked basketball before, but I was kind of an NBA nomad, really. Um, But when I moved here, you know, you get into the city, and you get coverage of the team, you just kind of get into it. Um, and I'd honestly never really written anything before. Uh, but then, you know, Joe sent out that tweet that, hey, you know, we're, we're hiring writers and they had volunteer positions, which is totally low pressure. And just decided to shoot my shot and uh, Joe decided to hire me. Now, Lauren, is this the right time to mention uh, the the um, uh, Justin Holiday Bulls jersey that you were wearing at the Grizzlies draft party? Is this the right time to mention that? No. no. I think, oh, I mean, no. Did I, you are know, we recording? Oh, my bad. My bad. Hey, we'll, we'll, we'll edit that out. No, no. We yeah, uh, for sure. For sure. Okay. Okay. So, so now, um, obviously, it, it, we are not going to ask your age, but when when you were growing up in Chicago, are you of the age to where you were there to experience the uh, the late years of the Michael Jordan runs? And is that what got you in, interested in the NBA, or what 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 made you a fan of the NBA growing up in Chicago? You know, um, I was. I will say I've seen Michael Jordan play in person. Um, oh. I am. I am. <laughs> of the age where I can say that. Um, it happened once. It was amazing. But honestly, you know, I, I liked all the NBA. And, and it okay. was kind of those things where, you know, Jordan, you know, with three-peat and then another three-peat, it got a little bit boring, honestly. And so, I, it, you know, I started to just get into other teams. But, um, you know, I, I, I can't lie. I've seen Jordan live. I mean, I was little. I don't remember it super well, but. Yeah, it, you know. yeah, that's right. It was your second or third year in college, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, about yeah, that. Yeah, just kidding. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, well, um, then I'll ask this question. Besides Jordan, who is your favorite non-Grizzly that you've seen play? Not in person, but just in your lifetime. Who's your favorite non-Jordan, non-Grizzly player? Favorite non-Jordan, non-Grizzly player. Um, you know, I have to go with Charles Barkley. Okay. 
Fair I have to go with Barkley. I love him. I love him. Hey, th- there's nothing wrong with that. The man has definitely got a personality. So, Warren, <laughs> we'll get back to you in, in just a second. And again, thanks for joining us. Mr. Colin Griffith, how are you tonight, sir? Doing great. Doing great, Sean. That's good. So my question to you is this. Now, I believe uh, you you are still in school, just graduated school. Tell us a little bit about uh, yourself and what you got you involved with Grizzly Bear Blues. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I actually did just graduate college about a month Congratulations. ago. Congratulations. Um, thank you very much. Uh, so like Lauren, I myself am not a native of Memphis. I hail from good old Wisconsin. Um, and I fell in love with the Grizzlies uh, back when they beat the Spurs in the playoffs as the eighth seed. Um, I liked the Bucks, but before Giannis, I was never too interested in them. They were always, you know, floating kind of between just good enough to make the playoffs, but not good enough to actually do anything about it. Um, so I wasn't really, uh, wasn't following them too heavily. And I just watched the Grizzlies play and I, I just loved, uh, just loved watching them. And I started getting really into them. And two years ago, I started reading Grizzly Bear Blues quite a bit. I really liked it. And I started writing a couple fan posts just to see if it would be something I'd kind of be interested in. And I really enjoyed it. So I emailed Joe and told him a little bit about myself and asked him if he was looking for any help. And he said he was. So I sent him some of the fan posts I wrote. And, you know, I guess I'm, I guess he must have liked them well enough because he decided to add me on. And it's been a really great experience ever since. I really enjoyed getting to know all the all of our coworkers at Grizzly Bear Blues and being able to share my opinions about the team because living in Wisconsin, you know, I, I have yet to meet another Grizzlies fan, so I don't get to talk to them, uh, don't get to talk about them too much other than other than with all you guys. Now, Colin, are you yourself, are you current, where did you go to school at Memphis or where did you go to school at? Uh, no, I went to a college in Wisconsin. Okay, so are you in Wisconsin currently yourself? Uh, yes. Oh, awesome. Okay, okay. I did not realize mm-hmm. that. Okay, cool. That that, that that's great. Yep. I I know that we that's that's the good thing about blogging is that you could be anywhere at any time and still have a joy. So y'all actually aren't far from each other with where you grew up. So that's 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 pretty cool. Um, Very true. Now I ha- now I have to ask Lauren who 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 are your baseball allegiances with? Oh, the Cubs. Yeah, hundred oh, okay. percent. did you happen to catch out that score tonight oh yeah i saw uh the braves they they hung on at the end there yeah yeah hey can you say that just a little bit slower so that the people in the back can hear that (laughs) yeah you know the the Braves three to two. I saw it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. We won't we won't go into too much detail there. But uh, but no, that that's the awesome thing about Grizzly Bear Blues talent everywhere. Um, and and I can tell you that I've met Lauren. I've read both her and Colin's work. I've had the chance to speak with Colin on some things before. That's why we want them on the show. We want their perspectives because they're awesome. And so let's get right into it. So guys, the draft occurred. Um, it's it's great. It's it's an overall feeling of. It's such a such a monumental time over the past two weeks for the Grizzlies. You know, hiring a new coach, Jonas's decision, the trade of Mike Conley, um, the draft as well. Um, Colin, looking at the draft and, and kind of just getting the overall feel for it, we obviously saw the Conley trade happen on Wednesday. And once we got back our return, what were your thoughts about the return we got back for Conley? And what were your what were your hopes because of that return? 
going into the draft between Wednesday and Thursday of last week? Uh, well, I was among those who thought that the Conley trade went pretty well. Um, you know, I know from just from seeing reactions on Twitter and things like that, that some people were kind of disappointed, weren't expecting more. And I honestly was not expecting more. You know, a uh, current first rounder, a future first rounder, a young guy uh, with potential like Grayson and a couple of vets and Jay Crowder and Cal Corver. That's about where I had my expectations. You know, I thought that maybe they would include Derek Favors and Cal Crowder and Corver or some combination of those guys. And I actually thought it was a pretty good return, um, you know, for an over 30 point guard with you know, some durability issues who's owed a significant chunk of money for the next couple of years. Um, I thought it worked out really well for both sides. And uh, once I saw that we had the, the number 23 pick in this draft, I was really just hoping uh, for the best player available. You know, anybody that the Grizzlies thought, well, we can take a chance on this guy, see how he see how he develops over the couple of years and see if we can, you know, find a diamond in the rough. Because for this draft, you know, aside from the top three picks, there weren't a whole lot of players that people really thought had real NBA value, real potential. Uh, so I was just kind of hoping to find anyone who, you know, could contribute to the Grizzlies going forward in the next couple of years. I was really satisfied with the comedy trade. Good. And, 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 and I agree. It was one of those things kind of like the Mark trade where, you know, could this have been a better, you know, package of players and picks possibly, but, you know, just thinking about mm-hmm. it, you know, the, the financial flexibility, uh, the assets that we obviously used effectively. There were there were just a lot of, of good things that came from it. And we'll hit back with you here, um, here in just a second on how we use those picks, obviously, in a good way. So, Lauren, me and you were there um, uh, 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 Thursday night. And yeah. It, it, it was an atmosphere. It was, it, was, it was an exciting atmosphere. Something that I, I can be honest. I haven't seen it myself. Now, I don't know how involved you were with the Grizzlies during the grit and grind era, but I do know that you have been here for the past two years to kind of experience the the down the the downturn of the Grizzlies. But just describe the contrast and feelings from, you know, just at the end of this year to now a few months later, all these moves have happened and, we, and our future looks so much brighter. Just describe the atmosphere there at the bluff and just in general your feelings, how they've changed over the past few months, especially the, yeah. the past week. Yeah, I mean, it was it's really unbelievable how, you know, some ping pong balls can really just change everything. Um, you know, even going back uh, to the Jaron draft, I mean, you know, there was a lot of talk about, oh, the number four pick, who are we really going to get? Um, and there's a big difference, you know, between Jaron and, you know, even like Colin Sexton or somebody who I, who I like Colin Sexton, but it's just the way that, again, pong, ping pong balls can completely change uh, the, the future. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. And, um, you know, to have that, to have jaw, to have another player like Brandon Clark, um, who, you know, is, is a player that a lot of people think, you know, was maybe fourth or fifth on the board in some instances and to get him at 21 was just unbelievable. So to go from that kind of uncertainty to, you know, three really young, exciting players is, is really unbelievable. And, and it's all lottery luck. Now, Lauren, I did, I should have warned you, but we're not, we're not allowed to say the name Colin Sexton on, on a Memphis <laughs> podcast. 
Number one, he's sitting there and he's trash talking Penny's son. Now, as a Vols fan, I'll have my own opinion. opinion. (laughs) But number two, Colin Sexton went to Alabama. We can't be mentioning his name on this podcast. Okay, I'm Uh kidding. (laughs) Kind of, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it was, it was just, it was a great feeling. I mean, you know, it, it's just, you know, I, I, we're all uh, three working on pieces right now, I believe for um, the blog. Um, and, and I was working on a piece where it just, it, it's an amazing accomplishment that this front office has done just so quickly. They've done right by Conley sending him to a contender. They did right by our return and they basically maxed out the opportunity that they had on draft night. So let's talk about the draft a little bit here. Obviously, it went pretty chalk, the first three picks. Zion to New Orleans, Jaw to us, and now um, RJ to to New York, basically what everybody thought. So, Colin, just a a quick perspective of the Jaw pick. What do you think of it? Do you feel that it was the best thing for the Grizzlies? And, and, And how do you see the immediate returns coming back for Memphis? Well, I mean, you know, I think I share the opinion of a lot of Grizzlies fans when I say that it was great. You know, it was amazing to be able to get that, to be, uh, to be able to get one of the three guys from this draft that a lot of NBA people believe has real franchise-changing talent. Um, and I, if if the Grizzlies had decided that they would have gone with Arthur Barrett, wouldn't have been too disappointed. You know, I think he's got the potential to be a really good player. And I'm at least glad that, the Grizzlies appeared to have done their homework, you know, to not just say, John Moran all the way, forget anyone else, we're not going to consider anything. Um, so I thought that was really smart. Um, and I think he's going to be a great fit. His passing vision is just fantastic. It's probably one of the best for any point guard I've seen come out of college in the past couple of years, especially when you have guys like uh, like the player who you just named a little while ago, who I will not repeat if that offends you. Um, you know, he's more of a score-first point guard as well as, uh, you know, guys like Darius Garland and things like that. So to see him uh, place such an emphasis on being able to change the game through his passing is amazing. And I think he – and I think Ja will have a great fit next to Jaron. I think he could work with Brandon Clark really well. And I believe that he'll be able to take this Grizzlies team, you know, how, however talented or not talented, you know, we have yet to see. But I think he'll be able to add um, – an amazing new dimension uh, through the passing game. So I loved getting, I loved getting John Moran at number two. I thought it was a home run. So Lauren, looking at this and, and, and you know, uh, Colin brings up a lot of good points, just, you know, the, the, the idea uh, of getting someone who could really elevate the offense as a whole and someone who truly is a franchise altering talent. But it seems like that even more than what he can do on the court, it's the potential of a future with Jaw and, and, and Jaron together. We all love Jaron's personality as much as we do his game. It seems like Jaw has the same ability to embrace Memphis. What do you think about the Jaw-Jaron combination and how it's going to be just as good off the court as it will be on the court? Yeah, well, I think, I mean, they're already, as as soon as we got the second pick, you know, Jaw's already, you know, tweeting at Jaron. And um, from everything that I can tell, they seem to uh, get along and, and seem really excited about the opportunity. And I think that's, that's really important for two young players is to genuinely be excited because there are a lot of situations, you know, where the talent around them, they, they aren't that excited about it. And um, so I think to, to have two players that can have that connection can help, you know, on the court as well. And it's just to have your point guard, to have somebody who can control the offense 
to have somebody like Jaron that can anchor the defense. Um, once you check those boxes, I mean, you can you can build your team from there. It's just really excited to kind of already have those boxes checked. Colin, do you think it is far-fetched to say that Jaw is the most celebrated Grizzlies draft pick in franchise history? Um, you know, not really. I don't I don't think that's too much of a stretch to say. Um, you know, just the pure elation, I think, that Grizzlies fans felt with getting that second pick. You know, I think everyone was kind of either hoping that we would convey or, you know, or kind of having accepted our fate that we were, you know, going to be picking around seven or eight or something and not have that great of a pick to all of a sudden we get this guy who has been setting uh, the college basketball scene on fire. You know, he's being compared to a lot of different guys like Russell Westbrook, given his, uh, you know, his above the rim uh, athleticism and playmaking abilities and things like that. Um, You know, I think, people just started watching a lot of highlights of him and really fell in love with him. And the Jaron pick last year was really great. And I was someone who was really high on him. Um, once we kind of settled in at number four and he figured to be the most likely available selection there, but this, the job pick feels even a level above that. And I think he, I, I think he would be the most like celebrated Grizzlies draft pick that we've had thus far. I can agree with you. I I think that I, I would argue that Jaron probably is a more natural talent than Jaw is, in my opinion. But you're right. It's mm-hmm. the pick itself that really added to it. And that we got the second pick when last year it felt like, you know, kind of like having the four pick this year. You were kind of on the outside looking in. Yet Jaron mm-hmm. is up there. He still arguably is the best talent um, in last year's draft. So, Lauren, yeah. let's, let's, let's get into the – the lottery itself. Obviously we had a lot of action. Uh, we had the fourth and the sixth uh, pick that was traded. Um, some teams who showed they know what they're doing. Some teams who showed that they still have no clue. So when you look at the lottery, um, Lauren, who do you feel um, made the best draft pick? What team do you feel found the best fit for their future? Um, I really liked, I mean, obvious is New Orleans, but I, I'm not going to, go with the obvious uh Atlanta I really liked what Atlanta did to add two uh, large wings you know DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish to kind of cover up a little bit for Trey Young um, on defense I think that team makes a lot of sense um I'm a big John Collins fan and so I really liked what they did just those pieces fit to me um again because you're gonna have Trey Young who you know I, I think he was one of the worst players in in the NBA defensively, if, if I recall. And so to have those guys to be able to help him out there, um, I really like that move. I know a lot of people said, well, you know, maybe Hunter will be there at eight, but much like the Grizzlies did, I really like that they made their move and jumped up and, and got their guy in DeAndre Hunter and then, uh, you know, took a guy with upside and, and Cam Reddish there. So, You know, you bring up a good point. Um, I, I think that the Hawks holding on to their 10th pick um, in that trade really made it a win-win for both the Pelicans and the Hawks. I think the Pelicans got good value um, for the four, for trading back to eight, but I think the Hawks also did good for keeping the 10 pick because they got a top five talent, plus they got um, a guy that a lot of people think could have one of the top five ceilings in this draft in Hunter and Reddish. So I completely agree with you. Colin, when you look at the lottery itself, who do you feel really came out better than you had anticipated they might before the draft? 
whether it be in a player that failed to him or a move that they made surprisingly, what do you feel may have been the best pick of the night besides Zion, Ja, and RJ? Uh, well, I definitely would have to agree with Lauren. I really liked what the Hawks did. Uh, being able to get a guy like DeAndre Hunter, who maybe doesn't have a really high ceiling, but he has, an, he has a very high floor. Um, he does a lot of things really well. And then to be also to take a flyer on Cam Reddish with the 10th pick. You know, I think there's good value in that. I know that he didn't have a really good year at – actually, he had a pretty bad year at Duke. Um, he just never looked comfortable um, running that team. Uh, and I think that having more of a natural point guard like Trey Young and having another sharpshooter like Kevin Herter to take the pressure off, I think he could really fit in well there. Um, another team that I really liked uh, – was was actually the Bulls. I really liked the Kobe White selection. If Memphis had stayed uh, down in that eight-ish range where we had originally anticipated them being, uh, Kobe White would have been the pick for me. Uh, I really liked what he did at UNC. He showed the ability to score from anywhere on the floor. He's lightning fast. Um, and I think he could be a nice compliment to Chris Dunn, who's more of a defensive point guard. Um, and I thought the, I thought the Bulls made a really smart choice with him. I'm going to go with the Timberwolves myself. I actually, with the, with while Dario Saric is a, a decent talent, um, just having mm-hmm. to give him up to be able to move to six and get Jarrett Culver, I re, especially with you know the fact that the Cavaliers may have surprised a few by taking a point guard when they already had um, the PG that shall not be named. Um, shout out Harry <laughs> Potter. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Pairing Garland with uh, Sexton, they may just feel Garland was the best talent, so it was there. But the Timberwolves being able to, from eleven, give up a you know a rotational player at you know more than likely for Culver, I think that that was an excellent pickup. So, so I like what the Timberwolves did there at the top of the draft. On the flip side of that, I think the other team that's involved in that trade may come up in this discussion. <laughs> Lauren, when you look at the draft and you look at the lottery, a team that you look at and you're like, what the heck are they doing? Who stands out as, as someone that you're you're not a big fan of how they handled uh, their high draft pick? Yeah, um, the, just the Phoenix Suns. I just, I, I, I'm absolutely baffled. Um, I think, you know, again, you look at these organizations um, and a lot of people, I think not too long ago, thought that the Grizzlies had, you know, one of the worst situations you know, in basketball. Um, but they didn't have the kind of talent that, uh, you know, that they have now with that upside. And the Suns just have all this talent, but it's not, they're not utilizing it correctly. And they're just, I just, they're they're clearing all this cap space. But from what I understand, they're not really in play for, for major free agents. Um, you know, they take Cam Johnson, who I'd heard was potentially med flag for his hip. Prior to the draft, now he's a great shooter, but it's just one of those organizations that, you know, there's just so much, there's just so much turmoil that, uh, you know, I just don't know what direction they're really going in. I agree with you. The Suns were in a perfect position to where they, they, I mean, you know, Garland didn't fall for them, but they they were in a perfect position either to use that six pick to get a point guard that they like or take Kobe White. I, I agree with you 110%. Cam Johnson is a great shooter, but the other thing about Cam Johnson, he's one of the oldest first-round picks as well. Um, I think he's going to be 23 you know, going next year. So he, I'm not saying he's a finished product. I'm saying he can improve, but I, I do think that he has 
uh, a lower ceiling than, than several of the other folks, uh, probably several of the folks that were picked right after him um, in the teens and the 20s. Colin, how about you? Within the lottery, uh, a pick that you just kind of let, let you scratch in your head. Um, definitely, definitely Phoenix with Camp Johnson. Um, as a huge draft nerd, whenever I watch it, I like to sit there and make my own predictions about who I think the team is going to take. And when I saw the Cam Johnson pick, I just thought, wait, are they, are they kidding? Is this for real? What's happening? You know, because he is, he is older. He's more limited of a player. He does have uh, injury concerns with his hip. Um, I thought there were a lot of other, you know, players that they could target at that 11 range that maybe would have made more sense as a long-term project. Cam Johnson will probably be pretty good as a sharpshooter right away, but doesn't offer a whole lot else other than that. Um, another one was one you touched on earlier, Darius Garland. You know, if the Cavs are going for the best player available, you know, you can't really fault them for that too much. Um, but his fit next to Colin Sexton will be something interesting to watch. Um, I know a lot of people are thinking it could be kind of a Daniel Miller, C.J. McCollum kind of pairing. Uh, time will definitely tell on that one. But then to also add Kevin Porter at the end of the first round, um, you know, I think that just could create the potential for a real log jam with the guard spots. And uh, I thought it was one of the more puzzling moves. But like I said, if they're just going best player available, hard to argue. He looked pretty good at Vanderbilt before he got hurt. But I guess time's going to tell on that one. For me, it was the Wizards and, and Rui Hachibura. Um, I, I feel that Hachibura is going to be a, a significant type role player. I really do think that he could be a good one. But I also think there's as much of a chance that their second-round pick, uh, um, Admiral Schofield, by no means am I biased in this opinion. <laughs> by no means. I'm just kidding. Um, I think there's as much of a chance he could be as good or better than Hachimura. I, that, that may mm-hmm. not be the case. I don't think he has as good of an offensive game. But kind of like the Cam Johnson pick, I think that it, where the Wizards were and where they are as an organization with that night pick, I thought it made sense for them to definitely go a different direction, maybe a more upside pick uh, being in the night spot. So, Colin, we get past the lottery and we get into the teens. And obviously, you know, we're gonna we're gonna discuss before 21. A pick right in that range that really stood out to you that you're very intrigued by. Um the the Nasir Little pick with the Blazers at 25. Um with okay. him it was always it was always more long term potential. Um he didn't show much in very limited time at North Carolina, and a lot of people had to had him pegged going uh, much higher than what he ended up being. Uh, I thought it was a slam dunk for the Blazers um, just because they got great value at that spot. And he does have the uh, potential absolutely to develop long-term. Um, yeah, I would definitely say this uh, year little for me. So we looked at the 20s, and I agree, this year little, just in terms of natural talent, it's unbelievable that he was there for the for the Blazers at uh, at 25. But, Lord, when you look before at 21, when we made the pick of Brandon Clark, do you see any draft picks in there that just stick out, that really strike your eye, that, like, this team did really well, um, even though they were outside the lottery? Uh, you know, and I'm not trying to suck up to you, Sean, I swear, but I, re- I really like Grant Williams. Okay. I did. I really like that pick. I, You know, he's a really smart player. Um, he's a player that can contribute to winning. Uh, you know, the, the very few Tennessee games that I watched, that's what stood out to me. Um, and he seems to have, you know, he seems to have caught on in Boston. 
Um, you know, a lot of Boston fans apparently on social media were just going nuts over him, his personality and everything. And, and I'm definitely a firm believer that, that things like that are important, but, um, I like guys that are, you know, smart players and contribute to winning. So, um, yeah, Grant Williams for me. Grant Williams, I am so happy for him. He is, and just, that's the thing that I loved about that Vols team. There was a lot of talent on there, but just great people. These guys are better people than they are ball players. And Grant Williams has such a unique game, but such an effective game. He's going to be a significant um, talent in the NBA, I feel. And I'm truly, truly excited for him. Um, one pick that stuck out to me, I, I talked on draft night with Joe Molinax about this. And, and, and it's more than just the pick itself. But the Pacers uh, draft of, uh, I get these foreign names incorrect all the time. Goga um, Batadze. He plays center. They already have Miles Turner, and as you guys know, they already have my 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 platonic, you know, a crush. <laughs> I guess you could say in a Demata Sabotis. But they've already got those two guys in place. The reason why it brings up an interesting point about the Pacers: Turner's already locked up long term. Goga is more of a center than than a power forward, obviously. So it seems like that the Pacers may be positioning themselves to where they're probably not going to extend Sabonis like they did um, Turner. And also this may mean Sabonis could be, you know, a potential piece to move in the trade. So I just felt that it was very interesting. But overall, I love the pick. I think it was a good value um, there at 18. So then, of course, we get past 18. We get past 19, and Lauren, I don't know if you saw, but the guys up front for Grizzly Bear Blues were very much looking at each other, saying the name Brandon Clark, saying the name yeah. Brandon Clark. Yeah. And so, Colin, when we were there, I was doing the, um, the, the uh, was emceeing the uh, raffle table, and then all of a sudden, our guys just started looking at each other, and they were mouthing to me, Brandon Clark. We, we got Brandon Clark. And I'm like, <laughs> what? And it was because Twitter was, was letting us know we had made a trade. So. Colin, I want you to take us to that night uh, because I believe that you were doing Twitter for Grizzly Bear Blues at that time, so you probably were paying attention. What was that initial feeling? Did, did you feel that he was going to be in play when he kept dropping? And what was your initial feeling when you saw we were making the move for him? Uh, that is correct. I was running uh, the Twitter account for the for the second half of the first round, um, and I was I was ecstatic about it, and I was paying very close attention. Um, and I, <laughs> I actually tweeted uh, once, you know, Adrian Wojnarowski tipped the pick, make sure somebody checks on Joe and make sure that he's, you know, not falling over or dying from excitement. <laughs> um, so, and I did not originally think he was going to be there. Um, oh, yeah. You know, as soon as, the, as soon as the Grizzlies were kind of eliminated from the playoffs, that was, that was kind of when I dive into full on NBA draft mode because it was the biggest thing for me to look forward to. And I read, oh man, I don't even want to think about how many mock drafts, but I saw him going as high as seven or eight and as low as about 17, 18 or 19. So I didn't really think he was going to be there. You know, there was a slight possibility, but I didn't expect it a whole lot. And as I saw him fall further and further, I thought, oh wow, this could be a real option, you know, but, but then I thought, well, maybe he's going to go to the Celtics at 21 and, you know, maybe the, or, uh, I'm sorry, not 21. Um, I don't remember what what number they were off the top of my head. I think 22, right? Yeah, you were looking at the. So you yeah. were looking at him going before us. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So then when I saw, uh, so I I thought about that, 
And then I saw that the Grizzlies moved up to 21, and I thought, oh, they've got to be going after Brandon Clark. Who else would they really be trading up for? And I thought the trade was great. You know, they switched spots and they gave up a 2024 second round pick. And I think Brandon Clark could be a great fit with the team. So I was really excited that we got him. So, Lauren, we we see the Brandon Clark um, trade happen. It only cost us our 2024 pick. By the way, um, I had mentioned this in the uh, at the bluff and mentioned it a few other places. I was a bit wrong, but the 23rd pick, which came from the Mike Conley trade, and because we got the 2024 20, second from Toronto in the Mark trade, we were able to trade our own 2024 second. So Brandon Clark contained parts in some way, shape, or form that came from the Mark and the Mike trade. So I just I think that's an awesome point. Um, when you see that haul now that we've got John Morant and you've got Brandon Clark. What were your thoughts overall about that combination and just how that much of an infusion of talent changed, you know, just your opinion of the Grizzlies on the spot? What were your thoughts about that pair of talents coming to the Grizzlies from this draft? Yeah, well, my my first thought was nobody's ever going to score on us at the rim. That was my <laughs> uh, first thought. Um, but it just it's a team it's a team that fits. Brandon Clark is a guy that needs. Uh, you know, a, a stretch five, a stretch big to be able to, to do what he does. And so he fits very well next next to Jaron. Um, and he's, you know, a lot of people, he's a rookie, but he's also, I mean, you mentioned older players. Uh, I, I'm not opposed to older players. You know, he's 23, but, um, you know, I don't know if he's going to start next year. Probably not, you know, depending on what happens with, you know, Valanciunas and all that. But, um I just feel like somebody who can come in and, and, and play from the jump. And so if you can get uh, in this draft two starters potentially going forward in Clark and Jackson, I think that's that's a home run no matter what. Um, now there's no guarantee that he's, he's going to be a starter, but even if he's in, uh, you know, an energy guy off the bench, uh, you know, a guy that can come in, uh, get a few buckets and, you uh, you know, even if it's just somebody like that at 21, that's that's a great, great value there. So as we head to towards the end of the draft, you know, Colin, I think that one of the big winners of the, the last part of the first round was a team that didn't even make the pick at all, and that was the Detroit Pistons. They had got the um, 30th pick earlier in the week in a trade with the Bucks, But then they take that pick, and they, as you mentioned, they used it on Kevin Porter Jr., but they got, but the, um, the Pistons got four seconds from the Cavaliers for Kevin Porter. I mean, that's insane value when you look at it at the 30th pick. Mm-hmm. But Kevin Porter also has arguably one of the highest ceilings in this draft. Your thoughts on that move? You you hardly ever see that big of a draft haul for someone paying, uh, for, for someone trading the 30th pick. Yeah, absolutely. And I was, I was pretty shocked by that move as well. Um, because something that I had tweeted out from the account while we were getting closer to the 21st pick was that I would be ecstatic if either Brandon Clark or Kevin Porter was available at that time, and they both started falling. And I like Kevin Porter as well, and he continued to fall, and I thought, oh, man, where's he going to go? And I saw saw that Detroit ended up trading the pick to Cleveland and that they took him, and then I saw that they traded four second round pit, uh, second rounders, and I was like, "Wow, that seems like a pretty steep price." Uh, he definitely has potential, but he also is not without his concerns. You know, there's concerns about his playing style and his maturity and how his game will continue to develop if it does continue to develop. 
And um, I th- I thought the Detroit Lions Detroit Lions, I'm sorry, Detroit Pistons made a very good move in flipping him for four second round picks. And those second round picks may never end up playing for the Pistons, but it's additional value that they can use to make a trade if they need to to get rid of some pieces or add some guys. Um, I just thought it was a good move by the Pistons. And if it works out for the Cavs, you know, great for them. I'm sure they won't regret the four second rounders. But um, that that trade did not come without its risk. Lauren, when you look at the second round, um, you know, we, we've seen, you know, some some second rounders, you know, who in recent memory have done incredibly well uh, looking at, um, you know, um, for us, it was Dylan Brooks for the Bucks, It was Malcolm Brogdon. I don't know if we're going to sit here and see anybody reach the status of Brogdon. But when you look at that second round, those picks that were made, anybody jump off the page to you that you feel could be an immediate contributor to their new team? You know, I didn't think, looking at this, I didn't think that I liked the Celtics draft as much as I did, but I really liked Carson Edwards. Now, he was a borderline, I think, first and runner. He was a 33rd pick. Uh, but he's a guy that can come in and just get you buckets. Um, what he did in the tournament was just unbelievable. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of questions about it, you know, size and, and things like that, but I just I feel like if he can come in and get buckets, he can stick around in this league. Um, and so I really liked liked that pick, um, and I think he can contribute immediately. Especially we don't know what's going to happen with Boston. We don't know what's going to happen with the roster. Um, but if he if he can come in, you know, on their bench and and provide a little bit of stability, then I think he'll have a good opportunity there. Colin, another interesting thing about the second round that that surprised me is the 76ers approach. Now, this is a team that's hoping, you know, in some way, shape, or form to maybe extend max offers to Tobias Harris and Jimmy Butler. They do have an extension, obviously, coming up for um, Ben Simmons as well. But they had uh, four second-round picks, and especially the 33 and 34th pick, they had the chance to get good young talents on cheap contracts that could help fill out different roles on their team, yet they didn't keep any of them. Do you, I don't necessarily know the returns that they got, but do you feel it makes sense with the fact that they traded those away to potentially get extra money for this offseason? Or do you think that they passed on an opportunity to add some good talents on cheap contracts that, that really could have, you know, helped them out as they, as they filled out the roster if they do get these two max deals done? Um, I think, I think you know, they did give up the chance to, get, to add some cheap young talent. But I do think that that move um, was all about creating room for their guys. Um, you know, I'm not really sure what Tobias Harris is going to do in free agency. He's apparently interested in a number of different teams. But uh, it sounds like, and I could be wrong, but it sounds like Jimmy Butler is thinking about leaving Philadelphia. And maybe they're going to try to use the fact that they can offer him more money as a, cha- you know, as a way to get him to stay. Um, but it does sound like what they did was based more on trying to keep their own uh, their own big uh, big names, big players um, around. So I would definitely say that they did that move more in the interest of creating the additional cap space. But I do agree that there were some uh, some talented guys sitting around those draft picks uh, slots that they really didn't give up on. Um, so I guess time will tell how that works out. But I would definitely say that they did it to sign their own, to keep their own guys in town. 
And so, um, Lauren, when we look at the rest uh, of the second round, you know, it, it seems like that, that you had a lot of um, teams that, um, you know, they went with players that they fit, fit, they feel fit their system. So besides Edwards, was there another, was there another pick that when you look at it, you're kind of like, wow, you know, this, this is a guy who truly is in a good situation to where, you know, he's going to be able to develop. Who do you think may have the best chance to meet their ceiling out of the second round picks that, that stand out to you? Um, I think actually bull bull, I think Denver two years in a row now has kind of been in this situation where they had the luxury of being able to wait on guys that had, you know, injury questions. Um, you know, they were a borderline playoff team. They broke through this year so they can afford, I mean, they don't need Michael Porter, uh, you know, to, to make the playoffs or anything like that. And then again, this year with bowl bowl, they don't need bowl bowl this year. Now I don't know what his situation is with his foot or anything, or if he can play this year, but um, again, they have that luxury. And I think that's, that's a good position to be in when you already have a playoff core and you can take risks on guys like that. Um, I think, I think that's a great situation uh, for those players and can let them, if they do have those issues to be able to perhaps get right and fulfill their potential. So I liked, uh, I like that fit in Denver. So Colin, I'm going to give you some choices as to who you feel had the, what was the best pick of the second round in your case, your choices are Jordan bone or Admiral Schofield. I'm kidding. Just a joke. <laughs> Colin, to you, kind of like I asked Lauren, what is a, another name that, that you feel, because he's in the situation that he's in, could potentially meet his ceiling or, or you know, be a significant talent quicker than most might expect? Oh, I would definitely have to agree with Lauren and say, my boy, bull, bull. Uh, much like you are a big Tennessee guy, I am a huge Oregon Ducks fan. Oh, well, congratulations. And... I, for, I forgot that point. That's right. <laughs> yeah, so while while I was, you know, terrified about his long-term potential, especially with this injury, um, I was also really, you know, excited for him just for the situation that he fell into. Falling out of, you know, coming into the year, he was projected to be a top five pick. And then after he got injured, he was still projected somewhere in the mid lottery. But then watching him fall and fall and fall and fall, it was it was terrible. He clearly was not happy about it. Um, but one, getting drafted by the Heat and then getting traded to the Nuggets, I think that's a really good situation for him. You know, he's not going to be rushed to get healthy, uh, much like Michael Porter Jr. Um, he's a good fit next to Nikola Jokic if they do, you know, wind up sharing a lot of court time together. Um, he's a really great shooter, especially for a guy of his size. Like I said, his foot injury is scary, and he's going to need to add a good chunk of muscle because he's thin as a rail. But I do think he landed in a really great spot. He's not going to feel too much pressure, especially at you know falling to the 44th pick. Um, I think that was a really good situation that he wound up in, although the way he wound up in that situation might have been pretty bad. So looking, so we've talked about the draft and, and, you know, we've seen where everybody goes, obviously in the second round, you know, you almost have just as many players who are traded um, from the team that drafts them to the teams that actually stick with the, the teams that drafted them. But we're now past the, 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 the uh, uh, first two rounds and Lauren, the Grizzlies made another move to add to their draft class 
in which they signed John Conker, a small school um, college player, um, to a to the two-way contract, one of their two-way contracts. We've seen Conker actually have some good positive opinions come out about him. Why don't you introduce our listeners to him and why he may have, you know, he may be a, a guy that makes our roster and could be an intriguing talent for us going forward. Yeah, John Conker, uh, I mean, I'm not going to pretend like I'd heard of him before the draft, but digging into it, he had been a guy that had been a potential sleeper for a couple years now. And looking into it, he's um, he's just an he. The parallels between him and Ja are, are very interesting. He was both players. Him and Ja were guys that were expected to do it all for their team. He just absolutely filled up the stat sheet. Um, Conquer uh, was the first player, I guess, in uh, NCAA Division One history with tw- two thousand points, a thousand rebounds, five hundred assists, and two hundred steals. So all over the sheet, he's, he's basically doing everything for this team. Um, and he's he's a good shooter, forty-one uh, percent. The one concern I do have is he shot forty-one percent from three, but his free throw uh, his free throws were like seventy percent. So I'd like to see that more towards 80 if I'm really hoping for it to translate to the NBA. Um, but he's just a very, very productive player. He's versatile. He played uh, – he's a combo guard. He played uh, point guard in junior and senior year. Um, and so, you know, if you're just – I'm definitely one of those people that believe that production in college – I'm going to bet on that guy versus – you know, somebody who has great measurables but didn't show anything in college. And so if you're looking for a productive player, he was definitely one of the most productive players in college. And so, you know, I don't know. I mean, he's an undrafted player. You know, most of the time they don't turn into anything. Um, but, I mean, again, he's uh, very, very intriguing with, with the role that he could play in this team. If he does stick, he could be Jaws back up. You know, he could be come off the bench, um, you know, and just get buckets. So uh, he's very intriguing from what I've looked at so far. And so, Colin, looking at the NBA as a whole, with, with how much you have kind of kept up with the players uh, that, 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 you know, were in the conversation, but it just it did not lead um, to them being drafted. Can you give me three guys who, you know, ha- have were not drafted, but now have either signed two-way contracts, summer league contracts, whatever it may be, Two guys who, even though they weren't drafted, or excuse me, three guys who, even though they weren't drafted, really found themselves in good situations? Um, yeah, and one of them uh, probably would have been John Conker. Um, I really liked that signing for the Grizzlies. He hails from my birth, uh, my birth town of Fort Wayne, uh, so that obviously has a special place in my heart. But um, he was a do-it-all kind of guy that I think uh, could be – you know, has the potential to maybe make some noise. Um, but another one I liked was, uh, oh, gosh, I don't even know if I'm going to be able to pronounce his name right, uh, Shimori Pons, yes. uh, who signed with the Rockets. Uh, he was yes. pretty good at St. John's. And, you know, the Rockets haven't had a draft pick in two years. So I think that they're just kind of hoping that anyone they bring on board can, you know, provide some real value, make the team. And I think Pons can do that. And uh, another guy who I'm not really sure about his potential, but I liked that he signed on with the team is uh, Taco Fall. And I know everyone thinks that, you know, he's the only way he'll make something of himself is because he's seven foot seven. 
And um, But I think that he just really needed, you know, someone to give him a shot. And I think that in the right situation, he could really, you know, turn out to surprise some people. Is he going to have a solid NBA career? Maybe, maybe not. You know, he might spend a lot of time in the G League. And he might keep getting chances because of his height. But I think in the right situation, he could um, he could really make something of himself. So I was kind of happy to see that he uh, he latched on with the team. Now, Kyle, I'm going to give you a chance to sit here and plug your 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 favorite school. Now, the Detroit Pistons signed a guy by the name of Lewis King. Your thoughts on that oh, pick? Yeah. By no means should you include bias. <laughs> oh, you know me. I'm I'm always objective. I'm always impartial. Uh, I did really like Lewis. Uh, coming out of Oregon, he was a great scorer, um, maybe not as good as our boy Dylan Brooks was back in his duck days, um, but he he's a very versatile player. He's got a lot of potential. Um, the Pistons aren't exactly known for having stellar wing play, so I think that if he can kind of turn some heads in summer league and early on, probably in the G League, I think he could really make an impact, um, and I was I was very happy to see that uh, he also signed on, although I did expect him to get drafted um, mid-second rounders. So I was kind of bummed that he wasn't actually drafted, but I'm still glad that he uh, he latched onto a team. And I'm going to give the shout out to the Grizzlies because they signed a summer, uh, they, they signed a few summer league uh, players. Uh, uh, Shat Buchanan, obviously from Murray State, a teammate of John Morant's, obviously the connection there. But I also like really their um, their um, pickup of uh, Semisola, um Try to. I may be saying his name wrong, but for the sake of keeping this PG, we're going to go with that last name pronunciation. Um, the thing I will say is that the reason why I like that pickup is that is exactly what the Grizzlies need to do. Um, this player from who went to um, Bambi to play ball, he was considered at times a top 15 talent in last year's um, uh, um, recruiting class. So he has the talent. He has the body, the athleticism to be able to play in the NBA. Now, the fundamentals are definitely going to be a work of art. You know, there's probably more of a chance he doesn't ever amount to anything than he does. But these are the type of chances the, that, that these natural talents that at one point were highly regarded, he really should be taking a chance on. They did it with Bruno Caboclo during the season. So I think that um, that, that pickup, uh, Simisola Chateau, um, is definitely a good pickup for the summer league team You know that could potentially pay dividends um, as, as a player that they could develop in their own system over time. So, Lauren, as we kind of wrap up here, so we've seen the drafts. Um, you know, I, several teams in the Southwest Division, you know, had, you know, good drafts. I mean, the, the, the Spurs added two first-rounders in uh, Luka um, Samanic and Keldon Johnson. So, when you look at the Southwest Division now, Lauren, with, with how the, the Mavericks have transferred themselves over the years, the great, you know, luck and logic the Grizzlies have used, obviously the Pelicans just having probably the most exciting offseason of anyone um, so far, does it excite you about the Southwest Division, and do you feel the Grizzlies are right there with the other teams that are that are really experiencing a youth movement in the division? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting mix of talent in that division, and I think it's a you know exciting. Um, you know, the Grizzlies, like any NBA team, it's all going to depend on on what these young guys turn into. Um, but the exciting thing is, you know. Let's say hypothetically, for example, you know, uh, Luca is probably the best player from last year's draft, but we don't know. It could be Jaron. There are a lot of smart what? people that that think it's Jaron. Don't, don't and, 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 and people's <laughs> So 
you know, it, it, hypothetically, the Grizzlies could have gotten potentially, again, we don't know. we got to see how this all plays out. But the best player in last year's draft, um, and then Ja, who's, who's, you know, likely to be a top three. We don't know. I mean, we we got to see. But to have – it all depends on whether they can reach their ceiling. And so that's on the new front office, the new coaching staff, to make sure that they do reach their potential. Um, but I think it's going to be fun. I mean, I like that we're going to be playing the Pelicans. Uh, you know, four times a year with Zion. I think that's awesome. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Lauren, that's an excellent point. And, and, and Colin, that's what I want to kind of kind of end with in terms of, you know, um, the, the last question with you. Um, it, it's true. Lauren hit the nail on the head. It's who is going to develop their players to get close to their ceilings. And obviously we know with Taylor Jenkins, he comes from a background that it focuses on developing players. It's been said that a lot of people consider him to be a very good developer of talent. I mean, just overall, how much faith do you have? And now that they've got this talent in place, which we've heard will be a great source of highlights, how much faith do you have that the Grizzlies will be able to quickly develop these guys into significant talents to where we really can see a productive and successful future in place? Uh, I I would say I feel pretty confident that they'll be able to get there. Um, I thought that Taylor Jenkins, while maybe not the sexiest pick as a head coach, was a good decision. Um, I've heard that while he doesn't have, you know, the athlete's background for basketball, that he really knows the game. And he, like you mentioned, you know, he does have a reputation of being able to develop young talent. And you combine that with the new look front office. And something that has given me additional hope for the future is the moves that they have made with trading Conley and trading Gasol and while not have been popular moves, it really shows that the Grizzlies are moving into the direction that they are more focused on the future. Um, you know, and that just gives me hope that this front office is accepting hey, we're not maybe a full-blown tank job like the the process with the Sixers, but that the road back to the playoffs is not necessarily going to be an easy one, but hey, we're here for it. We're going to work our way towards it. We're not going to try to do um, – we're not going to do the quick rebuild. We're not going to do the slow rebuild. We're just going to focus on adding as much talent as we possibly can and seeing where it takes us. Um, so that definitely – when you mix – Jenkins with the new front office, and it definitely does give me faith that the Grizzlies are finally heading in the right direction. And although it might take them a couple of years to get there, but I do think that they're going to be on the up and up soon. And you hit the nail on the head. I, I think that you are exactly correct. It, it's nice to have a front office who is making moves that make sense, that make logic, that have an overall um, that have an overall meaning. That, that, that there's a motive there that you could see. And, and the way that I've kind of described it is it's nice to finally be with an organization where we have the, where we have the front office um, people playing chess with other teams instead of being the chess pieces that other teams use to get where they want to get. So um, it, it, yeah, I, I completely agree. It's such a wonderful feeling um, to, to be where we are after this draft. Finally uh, a draft we can be proud of. Well guys, I can tell you this, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with y'all and before we head out, I want to give each of y'all a chance to, to certainly, you know, plug your work, plug your information so so people know where to um, gain uh, your your perspective on things. So, Lauren, let's start with you. How can people reach you, um, uh, you know, over social media, you know, as much as you want to give 
how can people uh, approach Lauren Harvey for her perspective as we've done today? Yes. Um, on Twitter, I am at Drogic Kingdom. So feel free to uh, follow me. I could use some. So. <laughs> there's no Goran There's no Goran Drogic slander, though. If you slander Goran Drogic, you will be blocked. That's just how long. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> and Colin, yourself, but how, how can uh, everybody uh, interact with you and uh, uh, make sure that they're following you for your perspectives? Absolutely. And my, by the way, Lauren, may I say that your Twitter handle is by far one of my favorites. I absolutely love it. Oh, thank it's you. Um, but you can, you can also find me on Twitter uh, at Colin underscore T. Griff. Um, I'm pretty active on Twitter. I love interacting with people and just being able to talk about the team. And in the NBA in general, I love the Grizzlies, but I'm a big NBA junkie. So any chance I get to talk about it, I absolutely love it. Colin is the only person that I've seen on Twitter who will start and begin each tweet with three quacks. You get quack, 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 perspective, quack, quack, quack. It's amazing. Isn't that right, Colin? <laughs> oh, 100%. Totally accurate. Yeah. All right. <laughs> uh, joking aside, um, guys, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, for Lauren Harvey, Colin Griffith, my name is Sean Coleman. Thank you so much for again joining us here on the 3D Podcast. We will be back soon. Justin Lewis should be back with us to discuss the upcoming uh, free agency, just kind of predicting what may happen there. But this, again, has been the 3D Podcast. We wish you all a great night, and we'll talk to you soon.